Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week we're going over UFC 253, which in my opinion is a little bit top heavy, but obviously when you break down every single fucking fight on the card, every fight is intriguing to you. Uh, but yeah, I'm very, very much looking forward to it. Before we get into it, I do want to go over my last event, which was UFC Apex, or sorry, UFC Vegas 11, I believe it is, headlined by Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley, so let's just start off right there. That was my lock of the night play. I tweeted out as soon as this fight got made, I would be more than happy to bet Colby Covington all the way up to minus 350, and I give no fucks if that square is fuck because Colby Covington was definitely winning that fight. A part of me wishes I actually did 4.75 units Colby Covington straight and then 0.25 units officially and tracked on the round five, which I did tip to you guys. If you guys remember that, it wasn't an official play, but I did tip it and I hit that shit. God damn, it felt good. I don't care if it was by a ribbit injury. Still cash that ticket, and that's all that fucking matters. So the actual official play, five units at minus 324. That cashes for 1.454 units. Happy to hit that. Uh, another hit that we had was a dog of the night play on Damon Jackson, 0.5 units at plus 319 over Mursad Bektik. That cashes for plus 1.6 units. And again, on the best bets and props article, if you guys are a part of the Patreon, you guys will know that I picked Damon Jackson to win via submission at plus 850, and then Damon Jackson to win inside round three, which I believe was plus 2100. Bang. That's all I got to say. Uh, happy to hit that. Uh, a regular bet that I had 2.5 units on Journey Newson at minus 138. You know, I thought if this fight had gone past that one round mark, uh, it would be easy breezy for Journey Newson. Uh, Randy Costa goes out there and absolutely flatlines him. The kids, the, you know, the kid has some talent, but I still have questions about Randy Costa and I still am looking to fade him moving forward. So minus 2.5 units there. Another dog of the night play, we had one unit at plus 155 on Jerome Rivera against the ever low output Tyson Nam. And I'm going to be completely honest, I still haven't seen the full fight. I was driving and then I tuned into the fight and all I saw was Jerome Rivera getting finished. Not sure how that first round went. So I, I'm not, I can't say much about it. I'm a little bit bitter about it because, you know, the one thing that I was hoping didn't happen happened, but it was only minus one unit there, so I lost there. Uh, we did have a parlay of uh, two units at plus one or three on Andre Ewell. I was hoping he was going to get the finish and not have such a close fight, but good win for him there. And then we had TJ Laramie, unfortunate loss there, got caught. In the guillotine, that's it. So minus two units there. Uh, we had 1.5 units total on the under one and a half on Hamza Chemaev and Gerald Mearshart. That one hits. That probably should have been the lock that I play as well too. We all know Chemaev's game. He's going to go in there and try to get that finish ASAP. And that's exactly what he did. Beautiful line as well too. I got minus 108 at one unit and then minus 111 at 0.5 units. That cashes for a total of 1.38 units. Happy with that hit. Um, two bets left. I swear, this was a pretty busy event for me. If you guys remember, uh, we had the under one, two and a half on Kevin Holland and Darren Stewart. Uh, you know, I thought those guys were going to go a little bit more to war, but it is what it is. Kevin Holland comes out with the decision victory. That's minus one unit there, and then we had 0.75 units on uh, Johnny Walker to win via TKO. That cashes for 0.98 units. Kind of win almost. Uh, 
to a T as how I broke that fight down. If you guys remember, uh, outside of Johnny Walker getting clipped silly a couple times, he still manages to stay in there uh, and then get the finish regardless. So big power for Johnny Walker, as always. That's something to keep an eye on. Uh, overall, we're, we end up at minus 1.01 units on the event. Very small loss. Uh, very unfortunate loss. You know, a couple of spots in there I probably should have passed on, which is why this weekend at UFC 253, I have a much lighter card. You guys should go through the breakdowns and try to figure out which bets I actually ended up making. Regardless, the, the bets are free this week. You guys can go to my Twitter, go to my bet MMA page, or even go to the website mmalotn.ca slash picks, and you'll see my picks for this weekend. I only have three bets, um, but I'm very, very confident behind them, and I really, really like those spots as well. So let's, quick thoughts about UFC 253. 53 solid card from top to bottom like i said a little bit top heavy for the casuals um adesanya against costa love that fight reyes for Blahovic, really looking forward to seeing what the new light heavyweight division is going to look like after that uh brandon royval versus kai car friends in my opinion will probably steal the show that fight is going to be absolute fireworks i call brandon royval mini tony ferguson and for good reason if you guys haven't seen him fight before you'll remember him after this night win or lose i'm sure hakeem duwado versus zubera tukagov should be a great fight uh between two primarily strikers though i believe we'll see to hugov go for the the wrestling uh ladovic klein versus shane young should be a fun fight too brad rudell versus alex de silva should be a great fight and then we start off the night with hadis ibrahimov versus danilo marquez which should be absolute chaos for as long as it lasts uh neither guy in my opinion belongs in the ufc but it should be fun regardless uh but yeah solid card top to bottom i'm really looking forward to it um yeah it's gonna go down in less than fucking 24 hours so i'm very very excited for it obviously i can't wait for that to go down all right before we get into the breakdowns quick reminder if you're not a part of the patreon already hit up the patreon you guys get early access to the breakdowns as you guys will see for the rest of the, uh, the, the podcast all of these were previously recorded but once i as soon as i finish recording them i post them right to the patreon so everybody over there gets early access to that stuff um on top of that they get picks even when i charge the public so doesn't really matter this week since picks are free but when i do charge the public they get them a part of their uh five dollar a month uh patreon fee and then lastly they get a best bets and props article where i go through every single fight in a brief write-up and i let you guys know what the best bet is for that in terms of a straight uh, money line or to over under and then what the best prop is for that fight as well too a lot of people love it that's where i give out the gems uh the the plus 2100s you know those those darts that you just want to sprinkle a little bit on for a huge return a lot of people love that stuff and then lastly something that i just started up this week uh if you don't want to hop on the patreon but you still want to get early access to the breakdowns uh youtube memberships that's something that's been pushed on me a little bit since i hit that 1k mark and i might as well take advantage of it you know what i mean um $3.99 a month you guys get every single breakdown earlier than uh, when the podcast actually comes out so that's something that you guys can take advantage of uh, you'll see the join button if you're watching this on YouTube that is uh, you'll see the join button under the video here simply click that and then you guys can get signed up uh, to get these breakdowns even earlier if you're an eager beaver so I much appreciate that all the support you guys are giving me through Patreon through the YouTube memberships and even through the tape index is getting me closer to the goal of doing this shit full time and i'm i'm just over halfway there just over halfway there 
I can't fucking wait. I can't wait to leave that nine to five, do this shit full time and give you guys much more quality content and even more content. I'll try to think of other things that I can give you guys uh, to, to, to help you sharpen your gambling game, uh, to sharpen your MMA mind. Uh, and the more time I have to dedicate to it, uh, the happier I'll be, the happier you guys will be. And hopefully the happier your bank accounts will be as well, too. So, um, yeah. Again, Patreon, hit that shit up. Link in the description below, whether you're listening to it on a podcast platform or on the YouTube page. And then the YouTube membership, obviously, if you're on the YouTube page, just hit the join button there and you guys will do that. And lastly, sorry, last thing, last thing, I promise. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet on YouTube. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes if you haven't done that either. Again, small things that are for free like that really fucking help your boy out. I'm telling you, it really does. All right enough of my blabbering let's get into the breakdowns and i hope you guys enjoy them hadith ibrahimov versus danilo marquez we got minus 155 on ibrahimov and plus 135 on the ufc newcomer uh danilo marquez we got uh the over under at two and a half with under being two uh minus 135 and that's kind of the line that i'm most uh intrigued by in this fight so let's start off with Khadiz uh, Ibrahimov. We already know he's coming off a three-fight losing streak. Uh, hasn't won a fight in the UFC. Uh, got finished in two of them. But, you know, reaching into the... Or coming into the UFC, uh, he, you know, amassed pretty much finishes in all of his fights. He's going out there like a berserker and just getting guys out of there quickly. Um, but weirdly, he has one of his uh, wins coming via rope grabbing at M1 Challenge 92. I believe that was just one of his opponents just continuously grabbing the rope without even, you know, uh, with, I guess, plenty of uh, uh, warnings. Uh, but what we've seen in his UFC run is he comes out like a bat out of hell in that first round and, you know, tries to get his opponents out of there. And he does carry that heat uh, throughout the fight, just not obviously as consistently as he does in the first round. Um, you know, Roman Dolids, Dolids was a tough matchup just because of how hard that guy hits uh, and slightly a little bit more technical and a little bit more weapons, I'd say, than Hadith. Uh, but in this fight, you know, this is a fight that he finally should get a victory in. And it's funny because he opened up as like a minus 250 favorite and then he's been bet all the way down to minus 155. Sorry, he opened at minus 180 got up up to minus 195 and then bet all the way down to minus 155 but i think that was people just kind of blind fading uh hadith there and then once they started to do the actual tape on danilo they're like oh shit we gotta get the fuck out of here maybe uh buy some money back on a hadith but um you know it's it's crazy i think neither of these guys really deserve to be in the ufc but i don't really feel comfortable betting either side here one thing I do feel comfortable comfortable betting on is the under. I feel like both guys have that knack to be able to get the finish. And I think it's actually going to be uh, Ibrahimov this time around. Um, you know, I feel like Danilo is just a little bit too much of a fraud. The only thing he really has going for him is the fact that, you know, he's a Damian Maia black belt, uh, which unfortunately, you know, based off the tape that we've seen, isn't the most you know credential thing or, or or thing that you should be proud of uh you know it's it's kind of besmirching Damian Maya's name if anything you know what I mean I Damian Maya we know is like a wizard when it comes to the jiu-jitsu game but what we've seen from Danilo is uh is kind of 
you know, mix that in with his poor gas tank. I think it's uh, a little bit of a spit in the face of my man, Damian Maya. But uh, you guys will recognize Danilo from being in Shogun's corner the last couple of fights. It seems like he's been a solid training partner of theirs and then obviously giving them corner advice. Uh, but, you know, mainly in there seemingly for his jiu-jitsu because if you take a look at this guy's stand-up, there is none. You know what I mean? He probably will... Uh, have a better time trying to make people laugh doing stand-up than he does actually uh, being effective with his uh, with his striking. Um, you know, he looks very uncomfortable. I told somebody already that it looks like uh, Rox- Roxanne Modafferi is way more comfortable on the feet uh, than he is. You know, he just doesn't seem... He, he has his winging shots just as any striker has, but that's really about it. The, the guy's tall, the guy has a frame, but he just doesn't know how to use it. I'll give him this. He has some solid front kicks. Uh, we did see that on display against uh, display against Byron Dennis. Um, you know, decent kicks, but again, it it just doesn't feel like that's really where he wants to be. He wants to drag fights to the ground, but I feel like you know this is just going to be a little bit too much of a step up for him. And considering that it's, you know, a guy like Hadisi Bragimov, that just tells you the level of competition that uh, Danilo has been fighting on the regional scene. He did step in on short notice to fight Myron Dennis and lost via split decision in a fight where, you know, you could possibly give him the first two rounds for, you know, getting the fight on the ground and, and you know, just pretty much controlling Myron from on top. Uh, but his jiu-jitsu seemed quite poor, you know. It, and it didn't even seem like... Uh, you know, it seemed like if it was Hadith on the bottom, Hadith probably would have gotten up with a little bit more ease. Um, I feel like he'll have, uh, I think Hadith will have an easier time of keeping this fight on the feet. I think his takedown defense, you know, isn't the greatest, but I think it's going to be good enough to kind of nullify anything that Danilo has throwing towards him. But I feel like it's going to come down to that first first round knockout from Mibrigimov. I don't think that Danilo will be able to withstand it. Um, you know, he just fades in those situations. Um I'm surprised that Myron Dennis wasn't able to get a finish over him. Uh, it just seemed like he was pitter-pattering him the whole time. You know, there was real, there's really no sting behind any of those shots that Dennis was throwing. So that kind of gives me pause. Uh, but Hadis, we know he throws everything in the kitchen sink behind his shot. So I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised if Danilo is able to, to withstand that barrage. Um, let's just take his last two fights uh, which were in 2017 and 2018. So we're approaching over two and a half months or two and a half years since Danilo has actually seen live pro MMA competition. Uh, but his last win was over a guy that was 5-4-1. And, and the win before that, take get this, hold on to your seat. <laughs> uh, 0-16, he pushed that guy to 0-17. Let's see what that guy's doing now in terms of his record. 0-21. <laughs> <laughs> the guy has not won a fight at all, ever. Uh, Clayton Catino is the guy that uh, Danilo beat last, and he hasn't competed since he lost to Danilo. Uh, but yeah, very, very sketchy record um, uh, of his past opponents. Even the guy, Junior Lorenzo, that was a fight where I felt like Danilo should have been able to get the submission a lot quicker. Uh, he pro- he did actually have, it seemed like, uh, the, the angle was a little bit off in terms of the, the, the view that we were getting, but it seemed like he had Junior in a pretty tight rear naked choke right at the end of that first round. But unfortunately, you know, time ran out. And then it took another four and a half minutes for Danilo to find that position once again and finally get the tap out. But uh, yeah, I like the under two and a half here. Whether it's in the first round or the second round, I think it's going to be Khadis just putting together a barrage of punches and Danilo's not going to be able to to, to withstand them. Uh, 
yeah, I, I like Hadis to win here. Uh, not the most confident in betting him, though. Uh, but I do like the under 2.5, which is where I think he gets the job done anyway. And we get a slightly better price at the minus 135 range. So I do like Hadis to get this uh, fight uh, done in the first round. Uh, and in the first round, his odds are actually plus 350. So that's not too bad uh, for him to even win by TKO is plus 205. That's not too bad either. Um, and then if anything, you want to hedge with Marquez. Uh, Marquez via submission is plus 445. So that's not too bad either. But I'm going to take first round KO for Hadis Ibrahimov. Juan Espino versus Jeff Hughes. We got minus 300 on Espino, former tough winner. And uh, plus 250 on Jeff Hughes. Um, the over is set at one and a half. Uh, with the over being minus 150, and that's kind of the spot that I like most here. So let's start off with Juan Espino, Espino I should say. Uh, first time in the cage since November of 2018. So we're approaching two years since the last time we saw him in the cage. Um, you know, myriad of injuries, and, you know, the guy is 39 years old at this point in time. So you got to assume that his body, uh, you know, is slowly starting to catch up with him, and his age is catching up with him. Uh Luckily for him, I tweeted out earlier today that, you know, you know, being in the heavyweight division, it's not too bad to, to be 39 years old. Let's not forget, Stipe is 38. You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of the champions and a lot of guys, um, you know, that have been fighting at the highest levels at the high heavyweight division have been much older in age. So I do think we can still get a solid three or four years out of Juan Espino, especially given his style of fighting. You know, um, when you have a grapple-heavy fighter, it's not often that he takes too many hard shots, uh, especially when his opponent has his back on the ground. Um, so, you know, I, I love his dominant style of wrestling. Like, it's just he goes in there, gets the job done, uh, whether it's a submission or even just riding out a decision. But more often than not, it is a submission and a quick finish, too. Uh, my concern here is with Jeff Hughes, he seems like a resilient and tough dude. Um, you know, he hasn't really caught his stride since coming over to the UFC. Uh, he's pretty much gone 0-2-1 in the UFC with that no contest coming against Todd Duffy uh, with that accidental eye gouge. I don't know about you guys, but Todd Duffy quit in that fight, in my opinion. So, um, you know, in the Hafiel Peso fight, we just saw Peso a little bit more mobile on his feet. Uh, Hughes was not able to, you know, get his rhythm or get his timing, and he got caught with a lot of hard shots. So he lost a decision there. And then in the Maurice Green fight, like, he just did not put the pedal to the metal and just, you know, was a little bit too passive in that fight. It was a split decision loss. It was a close fight. Uh, but there were a lot of concerns in that fight for Jeff Hughes. And a lot of people are kind of chalking it up to, you know, just UFC jitters. It's tough for me to believe that, you know, especially when he's going in there and fighting a guy that he had already fought for 25 minutes, two fights before that. You know what I mean? Uh, Maurice Green, not the most technical guy, not the most talented guy, and you've already beaten him over 25 minutes, yet you can't go out there and beat him over 15. That was very sketchy. I, ha I had a pretty hefty bet on Jeff Hughes there, too, so that one really, really let me down. Uh, but in this fight against Espino, it's, it's interesting because... You know, I've dug through the tape that's available on Jeff Hughes, and we don't really see much in terms of what he has to offer off of his back. So I'm not sure if he can go out there and really, 
you know, fend submissions. Uh, you know, it's it's without a doubt. I truly believe that he's going to get taken down. I don't think there's a lot of people that are going to be able to stop the shots of Juan Espino. The, just the way the guy's built, uh, how strong he is too. He's just ragdolling dudes. And I don't think that's much of an issue for him here against Jeff Hughes, who, you know, I think he was 250 in his last fight against Rafael Pizzo. Yeah, he weighed in at... Uh, 254. You know, I mean, he's throwing around guys like Maurice Green and, uh, you know, Espino just has ridiculous power uh, and strength. So I don't think he'll have much uh, issue getting Jeff Hughes down. And Jeff Hughes isn't really a power puncher either. The guys that got, you know, an accumulative ja- damage, try to prolong uh, his gas tank as much as possible. Um, you know, I'm not sure if his game plan is to try to, like, put everything into a shot so that Juan Espino is not able to close the distance or try to conserve enough, try to survive off of his back, uh, you know, kind of accepting that he's going to get taken down and then try to beat Espino late because we haven't really seen Espino late. You know, the the decision that he had on the ultimate fighter, you guys got to remember that that was only two rounds against Ben Sassoli. You know, I mean, he grinded him out for two rounds. If that went to a third round, we don't know what we would have seen, but let's be honest, we probably would have seen him grind out Ben Sassoli for another five rounds. What he would have done to Jeff Hughes, though, who seems to have a better gas tank, uh, who knows? You know what I mean? So what I do actually like in this is the over one and a half. But what's keeping me back from really unloading on this play is the lack of knowledge that we really have on Jeff Hughes's uh, submission defense. A part of me, like I believe that he would be, you know, as good as Ben Sassoli off of his back to be able to, you know, uh, not give up his back or not uh, give up a triangle choke or arm triangle choke, I should say. Um, I feel like it would just be like a slow beating by Juan Espino. So I, like the, there's a couple plays that you can go for here. There's Juan Espino inside the distance if you believe that he's going to get the, the, the finish or the choke. And I believe that is at Espino inside the distance is minus 115. So there's that or Espino by decision plus 280 uh, or the over one and a half, which is minus 150. Uh, what's again, I wanted to go into this and really bet Espino, but minus 300 is a little bit too much for a guy that, uh, you know, has had close to a two-year layoff. If money starts to come back in on Jeff Hughes and we get Juan Espino closer to that minus 200 or minus 230 range, I'd probably be a little bit more, uh, you know, gun-happy in terms of trying to pull the trigger on Juan Espino here. But I think the play is probably the over one and a half. You know, I could see it dragging on. But again, there is just the mysteriousness and the the unknown of what Jeff Hughes really has to offer his, off of his back. Um, given his experience, given his durability, given his toughness, toughness, <laughs> toughness, I almost pulled up Mike Tyson's, Tyson there. Uh, but given his toughness, um, I feel like he would survive. But again, submission doesn't really take toughness into consideration. Like toughness, in my opinion, and durability comes to, you know, being able to take a shot and being able to take damage. But, you know, a choke is just like, okay, you're going to go night-night if uh, Espino locks up a triangle choke or anything. So I think it's going to be very important for Hughes to go out there, uh, make sure he doesn't give it up in arm triangle, uh, because I feel like that's Espino's best uh, submission that he can throw out there. Uh, But yeah, I I like the over one and a half here. I am going to go with Espino, uh, hoping that some more money comes in on Jeff Hughes. I highly doubt it considering that he's pretty much 0-3 in the UFC, well, 0-2-1-1. But yeah, I like Espino. I'm going to say second round submission. I think he wears on Hughes and then eventually gets to finish late in the second round. But I do like the over one and a half. Um, 
will I play it? Not 100% sure yet. We'll see what the rest of the card has to offer. And then when I get back around to this fight, we'll see if I have some, uh, you know, units or money left over that I'd be willing to chip uh, to, to see if this over one and a half is worth it. So uh, once again, Juan Espino via second round submission. Alexa Kamur versus William Knight. We got minus 165 on Kamur and plus 145 on Knight. The over under is at one and a half with the over going at minus 125. And uh, Kamur did open up as the minus 195 favorite and it has come down to minus 165. I'm seeing a lot of love out there for William Knight. A lot of people seem to be high on him and I don't really understand it to be honest. So let's start off with him. He only has one loss uh, to Tefan and Zuchikui. Uh, if you guys remember, uh, Tefan was actually on the Contender Series a couple weeks ago where he got a second round finish. So William Knight, you know, not the biggest light heavyweight out there. Very dense and very thick. He's standing at 5'10", uh, whereas Kamor is 6'1", with a 75-inch reach, 73-inch uh, reach for William Knight. Both guys are kind of green still. You know what I mean? Like, they have a combined, what is that, 15 fights. Um, you know, they, they don't really have too many quality wins on their record. Um, you know, the Jamel Jones fight for William Knight well, was very weird. He pretty much got handled that entire fight, by albeit a much bigger fighter uh, who took the fight on short notice. But uh, he seemed to, you know, he was just surviving on the bottom. That's all it was. I think anybody with a better top game would probably be able to finish William Knight there. Um, but, you know, Knight uh, rode it out. Uh, and he was able to, uh, you know, eventually reverse position when uh, Jamal Jones pretty much ran out of gas. And then he tapped, you know, Jones tapped his strikes. It was, he just gave up, you know what I mean? Uh, and then the Tefan fight, uh, I'll give William Knight the benefit of the doubt there. You know, he he looked like he was in the fight. Um, and, and it was weird because he got hit by a spinning back elbow. Then he got hit by another elbow. And then he tried taking Tefan down. But as he was trying to take him down, Tefan did a good job of, of pretty much stopping the takedown. But like kind of face planting William. Uh, and it looked bad from the referee's angle. And as soon as he stopped it, we saw um, William kind of like protest a little bit. And it made sense. You know, he wasn't completely out. But it, the, the positioning and uh, the series of events leading up to that seemed quite questionable so i'm not really uh you know ragging on the referee for stopping the fight there uh and then we saw him against rocky edwards who's kind of like a vet an old guy it wasn't you know rocky edwards is not a guy that's trying to make it to the ufc at this point kind of just a guy you know doing this part time uh and it took him to the third round to to actually you know go out there and, and finish rocky edwards and a lot of people are going to go out there and be like yo look william knight has a solid gas tank he's still able to go out there and finish guys in the third round I'm not a full believer of that. If you guys watch that Rocky Edwards fight, man, that whole second round, like the, the entire second half of that second round was just Rocky Edwards on the back of William Knight, uh, just not able to get his arm out of like a clinch position that William Knight had it in. And William was just chilling there. Like he's just laying on his tummy. You know, the referee's not standing him, standing them up even though that there's no inactivity. Or sorry, there's no activity going on. Uh, and he got, you know, he, he got lucky. He got to rest there. And then even in that third round, like, they were just dilly-dallying with each other until they landed a beautiful one-two to to rock Rocky Edwards and then get the finish there. Um, and then the Cody Brundage fight, you know, easily taken down. And I'm not saying that it's, uh, you know, it's it's too easy to get William down, but uh, Cody Brundage is a solid wrestler. So uh, it was nice to see him get that 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 quick takedown. But, uh, you know, you, you got to give Herb Dean a little bit of shit there. He's got Cody 
Uh, Cody's clearly on Williams' back, like has a solid position there. Uh, but just like the Rocky Edwards fight, William does a good job of like, he has some crazy grip strength because he's just holding on to Cody Brundage. He has no get-up, like no get-up technique whatsoever. He's just waiting. He's biding his time and he's hoping that a referee like Herb Dean is going to kind of provoke them to be like, all right, you got to move or you got to get up or I'm going to stand you up. You know what I mean? And that kind of provokes Cody Brundage to kind of go to his back. Um, and that allows William Knight to get back to his feet. And then Cody Brundage goes in on another takedown and then just suffers the Travis style, uh, Travis Brown style elbows uh, and gets to finish that way. So there's still a lot of holes in William Knight's game. You know what I mean? He's not the most active fighter either. So that's where I think Alexa could probably uh, be able to shift this fight in his favor. Uh, the, the line that I I do like here is the over one and a half because I do feel like we'll see these guys kind of try to uh, feel each other out. I don't think we're going to see Kamora go out there and try to take William Knight's head off because that would put him into too much danger and trading inside the pocket. He's going to want to keep his range. He's going to want to be able to uh, stay on the outside and, and kind of chop away at William Knight, uh, try to make him work. You know what I mean? Because I feel like Knight's uh, gas tank could be suspect if he's able to actually work. But then again, Kamara's uh, gas tank seemed a little bit suspect in that just on the dead fight is well even though he was able to pull off a takedown in that last like 30 seconds um but this fight is just a pass for me all in all it's a pass there's too many unknowns for either guy they're still very green in their uh uh in their games uh you you got to give the slight advantage to Kamor from being from a better uh training camp with training with uh strong style and stipe and those guys uh but yeah i feel like he would be the slightly active more active fighter too uh william knight shows some solid light kicks but just doesn't throw them enough um you know he has a he has a side size advantage that he's gonna have to overcome especially against a lot of these light heavyweights if he sticks around at 205 the guy is so dense and and jacked that it's just gonna be uh interesting to see how he matches up with guys that are a little bit more seasoned than alexa kamor uh with that said I'm gonna go with Kamor here. Like I, I think that uh, he might be able to chip away from uh, William Knight uh, from the outside. Um, you know, it, it is a little bit concerning because when he does trade or start to throw a couple of the strikes, he does leave himself a little bit more vulnerable, uh, which is where I think that William Knight could land a bomb or something like that. Um, I truly understand the whole uh, dog or pass situation in this fight. So if you are looking to bet this fight, William Knight is probably the way to go. But again, I just don't like a guy with just strictly his skill set. The guy shows no technical abilities other than like some solid strikes. Um, but like on the ground, he's holding on and hoping that the referee stands them up he has no technique on the ground or anything like that uh just sheer power sheer strength uh so yeah it's gonna be interesting to see what Kamora's um game plan is here i i think if he's smart he plays it out on the feet a little bit and then starts to mix in some takedowns and start to get william knight to work but then again we got to see what Kamora's gas tank is like as well so um yeah, this fight is a complete pass for me. If anything, I would look at the over one and a half at minus one twenty-five. I think that's fairly lined. And considering I believe these both guys, both of these guys are going to go out there and try to feel each other out. Um, yeah, we could see this go longer than seven and a half minutes. So I'll go with Kamor to win this by uh, decision. Uh, but the over one and a half is probably the best spot. And again, I'm just passing on it. There's there's no need to invest any money into this fight. Shane Young versus LeDovit Klein. We got minus 115 for Klein and minus 105 for Shane Young with the over-under at 2.5, under 2.5 being minus 115. And there's been a lot of love coming in on LeDovit Klein. 
Um, opened up as a plus 125 dog, got bet uh, down a little bit, and now here he is pretty much out of pick him. And the line is starting to flip, and we're getting a little bit more love on Klein. Uh, and after running the tape, I can say I disagree. Um, so let's start off with Shane Young first, actually. So he's... Uh, Two and one in the UFC. His UFC debut was to Alexander Volkanovsky. Obviously, comes up on the short end there, and then he fights two guys in Rolando D and Austin Arnett, who allow him to kind of really play out his game to the best of his ability. You know, Shane Young does very well when he's the one on his for, uh, front foot. Though, if his opponent allows him to dictate the pace and set the pace, uh, Shane Young is going to have a pretty successful and uh, you know a, a solid outcome to that uh, to that fight. Um, you know, obviously in the Volkanovski fight, he was not able to do that. And obviously he came out on the short end, uh, but that's fucking Alexander Volkanovski. And he does that pretty much to all of his opponents. Uh, with Ladovic Klein here, though, I think he's going to run into a little bit of trouble. Um, I think that Klein uh, might be the slightly slicker striker here uh, and also throws a little bit of uh, output too. So I truly think it's going to be whoever comes out on the front foot is going to be the one that's successful in this fight. And I can see them going back and forth, but I got to give the slight edge to Klein. Like, I feel like he has a little bit more output, uh, the cleaner striker of the two, um, heavier hitter uh, as well. Um but, uh, you know, and he's fought some decent talent on that scene. So I don't think it's too uh, it's too bad uh, of experience that he's managed to accrue. He's 16 and two. Uh, you know, he has a solid uh, record under his name, but he's fought some, you know, decent records. Just his last three opponents alone, 13 and one, uh, 39 and 16 against a Joao Paulo Rodriguez uh, that was a fight where uh, you know Rodriguez 39 years old a little bit older but it's good to get in there and go up against a guy that has as much experience as him and he did end up finishing him in that third round uh, and then Lucas Sajewski, uh that was a beautiful head kick and punches finishes there uh, in the first round but he's fought some solid competition and he has stayed active compared to Shane Young who's been out of action for a little well uh, you know, he hasn't been as active over his last three fights as uh, uh, Ladovic Klein is. So let's just take this into consideration. Shane Young, his uh, fight against Alexander Volkanovsky, which was his third last fight, that was in November of 2017. November of 2017, my man Ladovic Klein was just coming off a loss to Aiden Lee. And then after that, was able to put together one, two, three, four, five, six, seven victories in the amount of time it took Shane Young to get three or th two more fights under his belt. So he stayed active. He wants to get into the UFC. He wants to get into the big show, whether it was the UFC or even KSW, if that's something that he wanted to do uh, over on that side of the world. But here he is in the UFC, short notice against Shane Young too, um, somewhat short notice uh, as Shane Young was actually supposed to fight Nate the Train Landwehr. I was really, really looking forward to that fight. Um, but yeah, this this should be a little bit more of a, a fun fight. You know, I, I think they're, the skill level is relatively the same, but I got to give the slight edge to Klein here. Uh, you guys know how I feel about betting on UFC debuts, and last week I, I kind of broke that mold and went with uh, Jerome Rivera and TJ Laramie, and both of those, you know, didn't really come out on uh, on the winning end, so that was a little bit concerning. Um, personally, I think I'll pass on this fight, but I do give the slight advantage to Klein, uh, you know, so I think the money coming in on him was, you know, pretty much justified. I completely understand it. Um, you know, I, I've seen some uh, possible hate for 
Klein's cardio and thinking that Shane Young is going to go out there and just, you know, demolish him in the second or third round. I don't think that's going to happen, you know. I think it, it it truly comes with the confidence of Shane Young. If he's able to establish his game in that first round, then it's going to allow his confidence to grow in the second and third. But again, the David Klein is not Austin Arnett or Rolando D. I think Klein has a little bit more aggressiveness to him. I don't think he'll accept being on the back foot. And even if he is on his back foot, I think he'll be throwing a little bit more uh, compared to what Arnett and D were throwing. So, um, you know, Shane Young has a tough test ahead of him here. Uh, and I do like Klein. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with Klein to win this fight probably by... Ooh, he can win this by decision or late finish. Um, damn. You know what? I'll take Klein um, to win by by second round KO. Uh, the under two and a half is very intriguing here. Again, considering that both guys are primarily strikers. Uh, and I love those spots whenever these guys are just strikers. And, and we know this fight is mainly going to stay on the feet, especially when they have some knockout power behind them too. So I do like Klein to win this fight. I'm going to say by second round finish. Uh, but the under two and a half is probably the most intriguing spot in this fight. Jake Matthews versus Diego Sanchez. We got minus 750 on Jake and plus 525 on the Nightmare. Um, yeah, I don't really know what to say about this fight. You know what I mean? It's it's pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, Jake Matthews is a guy that goes out there and pretty much grinds out all of his opponents as we've seen in his last couple fights. Uh, and it's what's mystifying to me is the fact that he's been in the UFC since 2014. He came into the UFC when he was just 20 years old and he's, you know, accrued solid amount of experience. His only losses to James Vick, Kevin Lee, Andrew Holbrook in a split decision and then Anthony Rocco Martin uh, about three fights ago. Uh, but he goes in there and he's able to grind out his opponents, which is why he's always able to get the victory uh well not always but in most of his fights um it's been a while well he did choke out Shinsho Anzai back in June of 2018 but even before that uh, you had to go back to 2016 March uh, where he choked out Johnny Case um but he has slowly become a little bit of a decision machine in the UFC um you know one thing that we can always kind of bank on with Diego Sanchez is his durability and it's been a while since we've actually seen him legit finished um what's the last time we saw him finished uh Matt Brown via an elbow that was disgusting November of 2017 so it's been a while since we've seen him finished and Jake Matthews I find it hard to believe that he's going to go out there and really put on uh, a crazy type of pressure or you know really go balls to the wall with ground and pound uh when he has Sanchez down because Let's be real. He's going to be going for the takedown here, trying to get this fight to the ground. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised actually to see him strike a little bit just to test the chin of Diego Sanchez. Um, we really don't know what to expect with Diego now. You know, he did have uh, that Fabio guy in his corner last time around. He will have Stefan Bonner this time around. So I'm not sure how much that's really going to change anything. But I just feel like his body is diminishing. Uh, his durability will kind of always be there. His cardio will always kind of be there. But his skill set is pretty much on the decline. Um, he's 38 years old. Been in the UFC for God knows how long now. Um, and yeah, it's we. he's just a wild card at this point. But one thing you can always bank on is the fact that, not always, but he'll probably come out on the losing end. Um, with that said, minus 750 is still a little bit crazy. Um, I feel like for the amount of value that it adds to a parlay, um, 
it's not even worth it. You know what I mean? I don't think it's worth it, especially considering what happened last time around where, you know, we had that freak thing with that illegal knee by uh, by Michelle Pajera, and uh, we end up getting a Diego Sanchez victory off of that. Um, you know, it's it, it's tough. Like, I, I, I what I... I I'm still trying to figure out whether the plus 250 on Jake Matthews via TKO is worth it or just go with the decision, uh, which I believe is at minus 110. That's probably the best route to go here. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. Mixing with the fact that we just had Conor McGregor uh, call out Diego Sanchez uh, and Diego kind of... um, you know, accepting it almost. He even tweeted something out saying, uh, hashtag this is me now. And then he had this whole like post about Conor McGregor and saying that he's going to go out there and, you know, destroy Jake Matthews. And uh, I just find that hard to believe. You know, if anything, that might set him up to for failure. You know, if he goes out there and overextends himself, we could see Jake Matthews take advantage of that, get the takedown. Maybe even open up a couple of submission opportunities for Jake Matthews as well. But I, I just don't know if uh, the body of Diego Sanchez can keep up with his mind. And I think that's where it's really going to come down to it for Diego Sanchez. So uh, I will take Jake Matthews to win this fight. You know what? I'm going to go on a, on a whim here and just say Jake Matthews via finish. Probably second round, maybe third round. Uh, but yeah, I just think he's just too young, too athletic. Um, you know, Diego Sanchez isn't this crazy power puncher that's going to go out there and rock or knock out Jake Matthews. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, Jake Matthews, his speed and his youth will be able to keep him in this fight in the in the grappling realm. Uh, and I find it hard to believe that Diego Sanchez will be able to go out there and snatch two rounds of grappling over Jake Matthews here. So I'll go with Jake Matthews, probably second or third round finish. I'll say TKO, uh, you know, just consecutive blows, uh, you know, after holding Diego Sanchez down uh, in uh, a compromising position. So not not the craziest of breakdowns here. It's just so hard to know what the fuck you're going to get with Diego Sanchez and mixing the fact that the odds are so out of whack. You know, I, I'm not going to go out there and be like, all right, Diego Sanchez is worth a bit of a stab here, nor am I going to say that Jake Matthews is worth the the you know being a parlay piece here either so uh jake matthews via second round tko brad riddell versus alex de silva we got plus 280 on alex de silva and minus 340 on quake brad riddell um the over under is at two and a half with the under being minus 120 uh let's start off with brad quake riddell uh city kickboxing guy uh obviously claim to fame just you know being in the corner not in the corner but uh you know always being in the same training camp as israel adesanya uh pretty much all those guys once adesanya start to blow up uh, Kai Car France, you know, resurfaced in the UFC. Uh, Shane Young jumped over to the uh, City Kickboxing guys after he lost to Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, and then Brad Riddell was another one of their guys that uh, was on the come up uh, that got the call to the UFC after beating a guy that was 5 and 8. I'll let that one simmer for a little bit. But he, you know, other records on his uh on his record for eight four and one before that one and two before that lost to a guy that was 11 and five uh and then beat a guy you know beat kanan song that's probably uh his claim to fame here uh, or at least the the best pre-ufc fight that he has on his record but even again kanan song is not uh anything super special or anything like that um 
but yeah, in the UFC, two and zero now, uh, split decision loss. Or sorry, split decision victory over Magomed Mustafaev last time around. If you guys remember, that was that uh, weird where uh, weird first round where uh, Riddell pretty much rocked him right off the bat, and then we got like four minutes or three and a half minutes of Magomed Mustafaev pretty much controlling him on the ground and landing some solid shots, or even uh, you know the clinch control against the cage. Uh, pretty much saying that Mustafaev uh, stole that round even after getting dropped in that first minute. That's what I thought. A lot of other people thought the same way. I remember we did the Deciding Splits episode for that as well, too. And I believe Tony gave round one to Brad Riddell strictly off the knockdown alone. But I thought the control and damage that Mustafa was able to accumulate over those three and a half minutes was more than enough to actually give him that round. Um, but either way, well, that's a that's a different fight. Uh, what's mystifying to me here is the fact that Brad Riddell is such a heavy favorite and continues to grow wider and wider. I'm expecting closer to fight time uh, or even event time that line might even get a little bit wider considering most people are going to go out there and parlay Brad Riddell, you know, just thinking, all right, you know, this guy... Minus 320, you know, what's the harm in throwing him into a parlay because he adds a little bit of value to it and he should go out there and win. I'd say hit the pause button a little bit. I'd say let's let's back up a little bit. That that line's a little bit too too wide. Like he's not going out there and absolutely decimating his opponents. He's minus three twenty at eight and one. You know what I mean? Uh, solid uh, Muay Thai and kickboxing background, but again, he's not anything amazing. Uh, you know what I mean? He has had a loss on his record in the past. He's not this undefeated monster. Um, you know the the Jamie Malarkey fight. You know that Malarkey had some success in that, and he did land some takedowns. And that seems to be what Alex De Silva's path to victory is, and um, his most recent fights is to try to go out there and grind out his opponents. The kid's twenty one and two. He's had plenty of experience, and he's still young, and he's still getting better uh, as the time goes on. So to go out there and fade uh, Brad Riddell with a, a young up-and-coming kid, 24 years old with you know over 23 fights on his record, it's not that bad of an idea, especially if we're going to get close to plus 300 at this point. I'm going to wait a little bit and see if we actually get that plus 300 mark because that would, you know, that would be great. You know, obviously plus 289 and plus 285 is not that bad either, but I'm just, you know, just being a little bit too greedy at this point in time. But I do think that we will see plus 300 on Alex De Silva come, you know, come tomorrow morning, you know, event day. Um, so it's worth waiting it out. But, um, you know, this fight should play much play out much closer than the minus three twenty uh, uh, kind of shows here. Riddell, obviously, you know, I, I believe he is talented, but I feel like we're just riding the wave a little bit too early here, uh, especially considering that he's a city kickboxing guy. You know, Shane Young and Kai Car France are also guys that are getting that city kickboxing rub, and a lot of people are you know throwing money on them. Just I think strictly due to that affiliation. Maybe not strictly, but in part due to that affiliation. Um, obviously, we have seen a little bit of money come in on uh, Ledovit Klein uh, against Shane Young, but I do believe that Shane Young is probably on the lower end of the guys that are over at City Kickboxing. I do believe that Brad Riddell is talented. I think his striking is great too. And, uh, you know, that, that fight that he had before coming to the UFC, it seemed like he was just trying to try out his grappling chops where he just went out there and just grapple fucked his opponent for five rounds. But it wasn't anything amazing or anything crazy good um i will say when he was put up against grappling in the ufc he did show good uh, a good job in terms of getting back to his feet but i feel like alex de Silva has a little bit more to offer in the top positions and in the jiu-jitsu realm too um you know he does have uh 
a good amount. Well, he has four uh, submissions listed on his uh, topology page seven in total, if you want to count them all. But um, I, I think there's a solid path to victory here for De Silva to keep this fight close, to grind it out. Um, you know, if he if he can handle his way on the feet, which I think he show, should be able to, this fight will play out a lot closer than the line actually indicates. So, um, yeah, I, I th- again, I think this fight plays out much closer. I, I'd be happy taking a small shot at De Silva here. Uh, I think the kid's talented, and I think he's going to... You know he he he's gonna upset some people I think so um, you know mixing the, the the solid striking that he has as well as his knife to get fights to the ground and and do a decent job there in terms of controlling guys um, you know I I think Riddell will have some success in terms of getting back up but in, uh, you know I I don't want to uh, advocate playing a guy that's at minus three twenty um, or even parlaying him for that fact. If I don't think that his skill set is that much better than Alex De Silva, so I do like De Silva here. I will take him to win by decision, uh, and you can crap over this pick all you want. But once you see that fight play out and see how close it actually is, even if De Silva comes out on the losing end, yeah, this is this is not a good spot for Riddell to be a minus three twenty favorite. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna go with De Silva to win this fight via decision. Hakeem Dawudu versus Zubera Tahugov. We got minus 137 on Tahugov and plus 127 or plus 125 on uh, uh, Mean Hakeem Dawudu. So uh, we did see a little bit of money come in on Zubera this morning after uh, he clearly, you know, was four pounds over uh, the weight limit. It was probably the most happiest guy that you've ever seen miss weight. Uh, a lot of people were pretty much put off by him flexing on the scale and, you know, not really making it seem like he gave a fuck that he missed weight uh and you know i guess it's a bit of a an advantage for him here so he is mainly like a lot of people see him as a striker but he does have a wrestling uh background as well where he's able to get guys to the ground and try to do some damage from there um but i feel like um we'll see him go out there and try to strike for a little bit in that in that first round the one thing that we've seen with zubera is his Lack of gas tank. I mean, we have seen him go three rounds in the past. Um, but one thing that's always uh, pretty evident, at least in his third rounds, is that his, his output like pretty much wanes a lot. So I think that's where we'll see Hakeem have a lot of success, especially in that third round. Um, I feel like the pace and the, the striking output of Hakeem Dawadu is going to make it a little bit more difficult for Zubera to really get his shots off. And then we'll see him really start to implement the grappling. Um, you know, Hakeem did deal with the, a grappling onslaught from Kyle Bakniak uh, a couple fights ago, and he was able to stuff the majority of that those takedowns. But I feel like Zubera is probably one of the stronger wrestlers that he's fought in the last couple fights. Um, we did see Julio Arce get him down in that second round, uh, his last time out. And then in the the third round we saw him you know stuff a couple of the takedowns and really get the better of the striking exchanges so i think it's really going to come down to you know at least hakeem uh securing one of those first two rounds and then i believe that third round is pretty much a uh you know a, a nail in the coffin in terms of making sure he gets that third round it's all about those first two rounds as long as he's able to shuck off enough takedowns or even if he gets taken down just get right back to his feet he should be in the clear in terms of being able to outstrike zubera who in my opinion again is kind Kind of low output, doesn't really throw in too many combinations or anything like that, but does throw a lot of power behind his punches. Um, 
it, you know, the, the, it was pretty much a pick leading up to today, and then we finally got some money coming in on Tuhugov, but I still feel like Dewadu uh, is the right side here. I feel like it, j- just overall, he's a much better striker, the much better Muay Thai practitioner, and the better gas tank mixed that in with a little bit of a better pace and more output. I feel like Dewadu is the right side. The one uh, key that I'm really looking at here is Dewadu inside uh, in the round three. We did see him get a third round finish two fights ago uh, against Hori. Uh, and I feel like, again, against a guy like Tehugov here who tends to slow down a little bit and his, his uh, you know, he tries to bounce around and look like he's fine and, you know, tries to explode every now and then, but it's just not, it's too far and few between, in my opinion, those third rounds. And that's where we'll see Duwadu really start to, you know, pick it up and uh, have success against the Hugov. So plus 1800 is what I'm seeing right now for Duwadu inside round three. That might be something that I take a little bit of a degenerate shot on, and I, I definitely like that. So uh, I do like Duwadu to win this fight. Again, the overall better stand-up artist here. Um, I'm hoping that he's worked on his get-ups a little bit. His takedown defense has looked decent in the past, but again, this is probably the stiffest test that Duwadu has faced when it comes to the grappling and wrestling realm. So as long as he's able to keep it on the feet, I feel like this fight is his prime for the taking. Uh, and at you know slight underdog odds, um, I think he's more than worth... Uh, a solid stab here so i do like duwadu i'm gonna take him to win by third round tko uh and i wouldn't mind a little bit of a a sprinkle on duwadu at plus 1800 in the third round i by the way i find it interesting that the is plus 1350 in round three and it seemed like there was money coming in on that, which is why. So you opened up plus 1525. Now it's down to plus 1350. I feel like Dewadu, if anything, is a little bit more live in that round three. So I am going to take Dewadu to win this fight via third round TKO. Catlin Vieira versus Sajara Eubanks. We got minus 185 on Vieira and plus 160 on Sajara Eubanks. Let's start off with Sajara. She spoiled my lock of the night play last time around, but even if it wasn't her, it was going to be Roxanne Montefiore who took out Andrea Lee. But she, uh, Sajara goes out there and has a pretty solid performance against a uh, highly touted Julia Avila. Um, you know, and it came down to a couple things. So, uh, all three judges had a 29 27 for Eubanks, meaning that all the judges gave the round first round to Julia Avila kind of makes a little bit of sense you could make a slight argument for Eubanks winning that round but the second round huge 10-8 round for her Julia Vila goes out there and you know turns raging panda mode on and unfortunately for her Sajara Eubanks was ready for that you know I mean a lot of fighters in the past uh kind of wilted and 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 were too intimidated by uh, Julia Vila just coming forward with such hard strikes Sajara Eubanks stood her ground and she traded and her chin held up and uh you know it it really played in her favor in that second round, though, when uh, Avila turned on Raging Panda mode, uh, she threw a, probably one of the most laziest front kicks I've ever seen, which allowed Sajara Eubanks to capitalize on that and then ride out the top position for the entirety of that round. She got close to finishing it via uh, arm triangle a couple times, uh, but Avila persevered. Uh, and then in that third round as well, Sajara Eubanks did a good job of getting that fight back to the ground, where she had a clear advantage in terms of keeping top position. Here, though, I think she has a little bit more uh, issues on her hand. Uh, Caitlin Vieira, even though she got knocked out last time around by uh, Rene Aldana, she was doing a pretty good job in that fight, and she has done a good job in the majority of her fights whenever she's in the striking realm. You know, she's a, 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 
a consistent power puncher. She throws in combinations. Uh, she moves well. She doesn't have a raging panda mode where she just you know blitzes forward and tries to knock out her opponent. But she has uh, you know efficient striking. And I think that's going to be the difference maker here. And I think it's going to be a little bit harder for Sajara Eubanks to get Caitlin Vieira down uh, than it was for her to get Julia Avila down. As long as Caitlin Vieira doesn't go out there and throw lazy kicks or anything that Sajara uh, can grab and and take her down, uh, you know, I think it's going to be pretty easy for Caitlin to keep this on the feet. Uh, I'm not saying Sajara Eubanks will be completely washed out if this fight does stay on the feet because she does have some pretty good output and uh, a solid variety of strikes when she is on the feet um so you know she does have a little bit there but i think she will slowly start to get discouraged and we'll see her gas tank issues start to showcase themselves once more now that she's going to have an opponent that actually has a little bit of resistance and is not just lying on her back um i think the the, the one mistake that a lot of people are making out there regarding sajar eubanks is thinking that her gas tank has gotten significantly better but in my opinion it all depends on what the opposition is bringing to her uh to justify her gas tank so I think Caitlin Vieira could absolutely make her work for three rounds and that's where we're going to start to see the gas tank issues of Sajar Eubanks start to showcase themselves once again. Caitlin Vieira, um, you know, she throws a lot in her punches and what I actually wanted to see, the prop that I did not get to take a look at before actually starting this was what Vieira in round three is and that's plus 2100. Not a bad spot, yeah, I mean. Uh, especially me being a, a non-believer in Eubanks' gas tank still. Um, my only concern here with Ketlin Vieira is this is the first time she's coming off a knockout loss like this in the UFC, and we don't know what kind of fighter we're really going to get. You know, we're coming up on close to over nine months now, close to 10 months since Ketlin Vieira last fought and when she got knocked out by Aldana. Uh, but... You know, she's dealt with uh, a significant layoff before due to injuries in the past. Now here she is coming off her first knockout loss against a, a beatable opponent. You know, I, she she does, it makes sense why she's a minus 185 favorite. However, I still think that line's a little bit too wide given the X factors going into this fight. Um, I do like Ketlin though. I, I still think she goes out there and wins. I just find it hard to go out there and actually better at that at that number. Um, I I probably throw in a, a hail mary or a lottery parlay or something like that. But I think she can go out there, be efficient with her striking, keep Sajara on the feet, and she might give up that first round just due to output. But after that, I think we're going to see Ketlin striking really start to catch up to Eubanks and really start to demoralize her. And uh, that's where we start to see Vieira start to pull away. I think third round finish for Vieira is very, very likely here. Not very likely, but very live here, especially at that plus 2,100 odds. So that might be something that I take a little bit of a sprinkle on. Uh, but yeah, I think her you know, her uh, her pressure, uh, the, the power behind her strikes, her composure as well too. Again, not having that raging panamo that Julia Villa had where Sajara Eubanks was just down to go in there and just go strike for strike at that point. Um, I feel like Ketlin being a little bit more efficient uh, and a little bit more methodical with her striking will pay dividends here. So my only concern with Sajara here is the potential for her to steal two rounds off of output alone. But I think we're going to see her output start to wane 
around the six minute mark seven minute mark and that's where caitlin's going to start to take over um again though minus 185 a little bit too wide for my liking it feels closer to like minus 140 minus 150 i'd be a little bit more on the caitlin vera side but we'll see you know there's still less than 24 hours before the event starts so we'll see if uh um Ketlin's actually gonna if if money starts to come in on Eubanks I'm seeing a lot of people high on Eubanks here and I think a lot of people are liking the fact that she's getting such a quick turnaround especially after such a dominant victory over uh a highly touted prospect highly touted prospect in Julia Avila last time around but I think Ketlin Vieira is the real deal as long as her chin is still in check and she's okay uh and she's not chinny I still just think it was a a one and done kind of thing for her no also I don't think that's a jar Eubanks can generate the power to really put Vera out. And one more thing to note here. Let's not forget that Sajara Eubanks was a flyweight before. This is, uh, you know, she's had a couple fights now at 135 pounds. And I believe that Caitlin Vera is one of the hot, uh, the bigger, uh, more stronger 135ers out there too. So I f- feel like it's going to be a little bit harder for Sajara to like spam takedowns or even, again, it's going to take Vera a big slip up to really uh, get herself on the ground. And again, I think she'll put up a little bit more of a fight than uh, we saw Julia Vila did, especially off of her back. Um, you know, she's a pretty good jiu-jitsu artist herself um i would give the slight advantage in jiu-jitsu to eubanks but i feel like even if this fight does hit the ground and viera is the one on top i think she'll be safe and she'll be able to do enough damage to actually accrue some points and some top control there but i do think it comes down to a third round finish here for caitlin viera and i believe that's what we'll get so i'm going to take caitlin viera to win this fight via tko in the third round after we see sajar eubanks start to suck a little bit of wind kai Kara france versus brandon royval we got Minus 235 on KKF and plus 195 on Brandon Royval. Uh, fun fight. I, I truly think that this fight is a sleeper for uh, fight of the night. I, I, I truly believe that both guys are going to bring it. But I truly think that it's actually the Brandon Royval side that's a little bit more... Um, you know, the, more of the ingredient to make this fight as fun as it's going to be. You know, going through tape for this guy... I quickly realized he's kind of like a mini Tony Ferguson. Yeah, I mean, I, I call him mini T. Ferg because he, he fights pretty much the same way as uh, as Ferguson. Yeah, I mean, forward pressure, throws a lot of punches, maybe not technically the most, uh, the, the greatest strikes or, or the greatest technique or anything like that, but he's landing and he's moving forward and he's pressuring his opponents. And then whenever he gets into grappling and jiu-jitsu exchanges, the guy holds his own. He's always active. You never see him really resting on his back if his opponent... If if his opponents decide to take him down or if he ever ends up in that position the guy's always looking to work looking to move looking for submissions uh looking for reversals and i find that to be very very uh positive uh when you're looking to to bet a guy his cardio seems on point too you know we saw him go five rounds with uh casey kenny and you know kenny just a, a step above roy Val, especially stronger too um has the better wrestling there as well but uh in this fight i truly think that roy Val um has the the, the much better uh grappling experience and grappling uh techniques here um obviously kai car france has the advantage when it comes to striking and being more technical and probably having more power as well but that's not always the case when it comes to like mma matchups you know what i mean 
Brandon Moreno, perfect example in terms of a guy that technically isn't the better striker against Kaikar France, but his pressure, his relentlessness, uh, his ability to move forward and keep Kaikar France, um, you know, just on edge and, and not really being able to get comfortable. I think that really broke Kaikar and it just, you know, allowed Brandon Moreno to get the victory there. As we saw that fight go on, we saw Moreno's confidence grow and it glimmered. And I truly think it broke Kai to see that, uh, you know, the 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 showboating and the the flexing that Brandon Moreno was doing. I really think that that broke Kai. Um, now I don't think that we're going to see Brandon Royval go out there and you know outstrike High Car France and start flexing on him or anything like that. But what I've seen from him in his striking department, you know, doesn't make me believe he's going to go out there and absolutely get starched. I like his uh, uh, his consistency when it comes to leg kicks. I think that's going to be a big uh, part of his game here too. Uh, but I I like his ability to create chaos and uh, ability to 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 capitalize on that chaos. You know, what I mean, it seems like he thrives in that chaos, just like Tony Ferguson, which is why I draw those comparisons. Uh, technically, they may not be the best fighter, uh, best fighters, but they're like fighters. You know what I mean? And that's the difference between guys that just go out there and try to help point their opponents compared to guys that go out there and try to get the finish and try to be uh, highlighting and entertaining while doing that as well. So, you know, even seeing Roy Val's, um reaction to... Uh, uh, his win over Tim Elliott he went out there and got a solid submission victory over Tim Elliott yet he was still upset at himself like he didn't even let himself celebrate yeah he got the win but like you saw in the post-fight interview he was just pissed that he didn't make it look a little bit more impressive and that those small things are kind of what I like to look at for these fighters that just want to achieve perfection perfection is never going to be achieved but to see that a guy is looking to 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 go to that hundred percent mark, that perfection mark is always uh, something uh, re, you know reassuring. Uh, well, you know, a lot of people think that Roy Val needs to get this fight to the ground to to really capitalize and get the victory here, and I kind of agree, but I think that again, creating those situations where you got scrambles or when you got Kai uh, clinched up against the cage, uh, there's opportunities for, uh, you know, Roy Val to hop on his back. There's uh, opportunities for him to get a trip or something like that. And Kai does have solid takedown defense, but we have seen him in situations where I feel like Roy Val is going to be able to capitalize. Take, for example, the Mark De La Rosa fight. That first round, you know, the, uh, De La Rosa really pushed him up against the cage, had some opportunities where he could take his back, but just, in my opinion, not as crafty as Brandon Royval. And yeah, De La Rosa is a, uh, you know, I'm not going to call him a high-level jiu-jitsu, but his background is jiu-jitsu, but I feel like Royval's, you know, awkwardness and just ability to create scramble situations and and just be wacky out there i think it's going to th throw kai off um you know how kai in my opinion does the best when he's the one moving forward and and landing his bombs and landing his combinations and you know breaking his opponents but there is an argument that he could be two and two in the UFC. Actually, uh, in his last four fights, he'll be two and two. That fight against Holly and Paiva, that was absolute hometown cooking. And I'm not saying that Royval is going to go out there and implement the same game plan as Paiva, but we got to pull back a little bit on this love that Kai Car France continues to get in every single fight. You know, Tyson M never throws anything. You know what I mean, so it's easy for him to go out there and fucking get a decision victory over him. We saw what happens when he gets pushed back and starts getting pushed to his limits uh, and, and the pace starts to get pushed against him when he fought Brandon Moreno. And what happened? He came out on the losing end. Mark De La Rosa, 
just seems to settle for like being a punching bag. You know what I mean? So not much resistance there. Halian Piva really put it on him. Elias Garcia, not really the greatest. And even like the, the stint between uh, the Ultimate Fighter and when he came back to the UFC, Kai Kara France was just beating up on some Asian guys that really didn't have too much high-level experience. So I think he has a slightly padded record uh, and a lot of rub just because he's a city kickboxing guy. So I, I truly think that Roy Val is highly uh, underrated in the spot. Um, I can get him at plus 200 at one of my books and I think I'm going to pull the trigger. I think he's a very live dog here. Uh, I think he can make it a very uncomfortable uncomfortable fight for Kai Car France. And as long as his chin holds up because yeah, he will eat some shots here from Kai Car France. As long as he you know is able to walk through them and continue to push the pace and make Kai on comfortable this is a very winnable fight for brandon royval so I, i'm gonna take royval to win this fight by submission i'm gonna say second or third round he continues to push through the pace continues to create these chaotic situations where you know he hops on kai Kara france's back or he just gets to these situations where he's able to implement his jiu-jitsu but again you know starts with the leg kick starts with the unorthodox like like there's one combination i saw him throw against um i want to say it was joby sanchez where he's like body kick followed by a high kick same side you know just these small weird unorthodox combinations and fighting styles that we see from brandon royval really throws guys off their game so it doesn't matter if you're technically the better fighter or technically the better striker there's guys like tony ferguson and brandon royval that can go out there and just make things dirty and make things weird and make things unorthodox and that's where they thrive so i i like royval here especially at that plus 200 line uh so i'm going to take him to win by second or third round submission co-main event time we got the light heavyweight strap on the line here without john jones and without daniel cormier it's been a long time since uh, a light heavyweight title fight has occurred without either of those two human beings um i believe ufc 128 is the event that uh, john jones captured the title at first over shogun hua and ufc one what was it 120 sorry ufc 113 is when shogun hua yeah it's the yeah poster behind me ufc 113 when shogun defeated machida uh to capture the title uh and then he defended it against john jones and lost it right there so um yeah it's been a long time since we've seen this light heavyweight strap be defended uh, or even fought for outside of john jones and daniel cormier so i'm very much looking forward to it and it's with two solid guys that are looking to start to take over the heavyweight division but i think that we'll see the title switch hands a little bit more than we have seen over the past 10 years um but yeah the, this is solid dominic reyes versus jan blahovich um reyes a lot of people are thinking he's coming in as the champ anyway since he had a very competitive fight against john jones in a in a fight that a lot of people believe that he won as well so uh there's a little heat coming in with him uh, but Jan Blachowicz has been around for a long time. The guy is very, very experienced. Uh, this is going to be his 35th fight, whereas Dominic Reyes, this is only going to be his 14th fight. So you're talking about close to, to just over, uh, just under a third uh, of the amount of experience uh, that Jan Blachowicz has. So uh, let's start off with Dominic Reyes. Um, you know, they call him the Devastator uh, because he has uh, like le- devastating knockout power and and solid power behind his hands and his kicks too. Uh, before he came to the UFC, he had a highlight reel knockout over uh, Jordan Powell. Beautiful head kick knockout where the guy kind of just called for it and then he got it. 
pretty much and 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 uh we saw dominic reyes take him out uh and then coming into the ufc dominic reyes was able to put together six solid victories uh one questionable victory over vulcan uzdemir uh but then after that he goes out there destroys chris weidman gets a title shot and pushes john jones to the brink um but you gotta kind of blame yourself if you're dominic reyes in that fight as it seemed like he put the or took the foot off the gas you know after that two and a half round mark um you know after he won the first two rounds in a lot of people's eyes and then the third fourth and fifth round uh slowly gave it away to john jones again very close fight could have gone either way uh i believe i had it for dominic reyes i scored that fight for reyes uh but still very close fight uh and this fight is coming in against uh jan Blachowicz, who also has had one five round fight he was scheduled twice i believe for five rounds uh once against chakra Souza, which he went the entire five rounds with and then um uh against Corey anderson where he just charged him in that first round dominic reyes he's been scheduled two times now uh the same amount and he split it one and one uh, obviously the first one where he finished chris weidman in the first round and then the next one where he went to the decision with john jones uh dominic grace the tall uh lanky dude six foot four 77 inch reach uh uses his range quite well um but there are some question marks around him i feel like the more overall and complete fighter here is jan blachowicz who's been through the ring or who's seen you know the toughest of tough opponents whereas dominic grace i feel like you know what do we got jared cannonier solid but he's a middleweight now uh osp okay uh Volkan Uzmir, one of the top guys in the division and then Chris Weidman a victory over Chris Weidman who's making his uh 205 pound debut should not warrant a title shot but here we are he gets the title shot but luckily for him he you know he put on a good enough performance against Sean Jones for a lot of people to be like okay he's for real and I feel like the the steam he had from that fight is really carrying him over into this fight and it's carrying over into the yards too which is why this line or this line is as wide as it is in my opinion it should not be that wide you know i feel like jan blachowicz uh the longer that this fight goes the more advantage that he has we could you know uh in the fight against um uh Jacare Souza, we did see Jan Blachowicz get the later rounds. He he was the one that got the judges uh, nod on the later rounds, and I feel like that's going to pay some dividends for him here in this fight that I do see going longer than two and a half rounds. So if you guys want to hit that over a two and a half, I think that's a solid spot in this in this fight. But I could see both guys kind of grinding it out. I feel like Dominic Reyes is going to try to keep the distance, try to get a striking off look for a knockout but Jan Blachowicz is quite durable in my opinion and I feel like he's going to try to push the pace try to get into Dominic Reyes's face close the distance as much as possible uh to you know nullify the amount of damage that's coming his way from Dominic Reyes I like Jan Blachowicz in this spot but for some reason I just can't pull the trigger I'm not 100% sure why um I think this is a solid dog spot and I feel like he has a better chance of capturing a title uh uh than Costa does in the main event um yeah I, I i like blahovich here i feel like he can just mix it up a little bit better uh he should be able to get it to make it a little bit dirtier we did see vulcan uzmir have some success when he was able to pull push dominic reyes up against the cage and i feel like blahovich should be able to have the same type of success six four dominic reyes six two jan blahovich but if you guys saw the the stare down earlier today um you know it it looked like you know Blahovich was a lot bigger than a lot of people were expecting um so i find that interesting especially when we finally see them you know matching up uh face to face here 
Bohovic, like I said, ton of experience. He's 37 years old. He will be 38 come February. And Dominic Reyes is 30 years old. Um, and he will be 31 come December. So in 